welcome back to Assessment as Elementary and Secondary. I'm your host, Jennifer Ruth. Today we're going to continue our series, Assessment 101. This is the assessment course that I wish I had in college. Today's episode is all about vocabulary. Apparently I have a lot to say about vocabulary, so this will be a two-part episode. Now this topic may cause me to regret doing this as a podcast because I usually explain these terms while drawing on the board. So be prepared to draw along with me unless you're listening to this in the car. And in that case, please keep both hands on the steering wheel. Let's review some vocabulary that you might see on reports or test interpretation guides. Now this vocabulary is not typically defined by the publishers on reports, but an understanding of this vocabulary is critical to make sure you understand the assessment data. The following are the terms that I feel like are the most valuable for teachers to understand in order to accurately analyze and use the assessment data. The first term we're gonna talk about is normal distribution. Here is where you're gonna to have to make a mental picture. On the horizontal axis at the bottom, you have all of the possible scores on an assessment from the lowest scores on the far left to the highest scores on the far right. On the vertical axis, you have the number of students who received each score. Starting at the lowest end, very few students received the lowest scores, and very few students achieved the highest scores on the far right. Most students scored somewhere in the middle. In your mind, you should be picturing a shape that looks like a hill, a hill that starts low and slopes up before curving back down again. The pattern of scores that emerges when students take a test is the distribution of scores. In a normal distribution, the pattern looks like a hill, and that hill is symmetrical, the same on both sides. This is commonly what we call a bell curve. Standardized assessments are designed to fall into a normal distribution. Most students score somewhere in the middle, and the number of students at the low end on the far left is about the same as the number of students with high scores on the far right. Many of the other terms and ways we interpret data are based on the assumption of a normal distribution. In most of the classroom assessments that we as teachers create, we don't have a normal distribution. Let's say that we gave our students a 10 item test. If you picture your hill, it would have a very steep incline and on the far right, it would be chopped off at the highest point. And yes, this would make a lot more sense if I could draw it for you. In a distribution where many students are scoring at the top end, that means that the test is not a challenge for your highest performing students. Having more difficult items on an assessment allows the students at the top end to show performance that is more spread out rather than many students all receiving the highest scores. So let's get back to picturing your bell curve, your normal distribution. If you were to draw a line from the top to the bottom right in the middle of the curve, that line represents the mean or the average. Now teachers are familiar with averages because of grading. You add all of your scores together and you divide by the total number of scores. In assessment analysis, the term mean is used more often than average. So now let's talk about standard deviation. To understand standard deviation, you have to first understand the normal distribution and the mean. So picture in your mind that bell curve we've been talking about. It has a mean line down the center of the curve. Remember that the bell curve is made up of individual student scores. Few student scores at the low end, which are very far away from the mean line, 
and few student scores at the high end, also very far away from the mean line. Most student scores are in the middle, pretty close to the mean line. Now you're going to take each one of your students' individual scores and measure how far away it is from the mean. Kids in the middle of the bell curve are very close to the mean. That's most of your students. Kids at the tail ends are very far away from your mean. If you average the distance from each student's score to the mean, you get standard deviation. Let me say that again. If you average the distance from each student's score to the mean, you get standard deviation. In short, standard deviation is the amount of variability or spread in a set of data. How far spread apart are your results? So what does this tell you? If you have a large standard deviation, then your scores are very spread out. Pretend your bell curve is a string. If you pulled both ends of the string, you'd flatten out the bell curve a bit. That is a large standard deviation. The difference between your highest scores and your lowest scores is bigger. We don't have as many kids scoring in the middle of the distribution. If you have a small standard deviation, then most of your scores are clustered very close together around the mean. Again, if your bell curve is a string, imagine pushing the ends together so you get a very high, very steep hill. The difference between your highest and your lowest scores is smaller. Many students all receive the same scores somewhere close to the mean, and there are not as many outlier scores on either end of the curve. So what does this tell us? Why do we care? If you're analyzing the results of your class data and you have a large standard deviation, the makeup of the students in your class represents a very large spread of academic abilities. You're going to have to differentiate a lot. It will be hard to reach all the kids in a whole class instruction setting because you have such a big difference between your highest performers and your lowest performers. You'll need to have several small groups to meet the needs of all of these students instructionally because the lowest performers are academically very far away from your highest performers. Picture trying to make a tower out of dry sand. You'll get a very low hill that spreads out very far away from center. On the other hand, picture trying to make a tower out of wet sand. It sticks together better. If the results of your data show a small standard deviation, then most of your students had very similar scores. Whole group instruction would be more effective for this group of learners and less differentiation is necessary. Standard deviation indicates how well the mean or the average actually represents your class data. If your standard deviation is small, then the mean score is a pretty good representation of how your whole class did. But if your standard deviation is large, the average does not mean as much. You're probably thinking how big is a big standard deviation? How small is small? Well, it depends on the scale of your data. If you're working with survey data, for example, that is based on a five-point scale, then a standard deviation of 1.5 would be really big. But if you're working with assessment data that's on a 100 to 300 scale, then a standard deviation of three points would be very small. Now let's talk about standard error. This is different from standard deviation. You'll sometimes see standard error on assessment reports abbreviated as SE or SEM for standard error of mean. In earlier episodes, we talked about how all assessments are estimates of a student's achievement. Estimates, by definition, are not exact. The standard error of the mean 
measures how far the sample mean of the data is likely to be from the true population mean. In other words, the standard error is a measure of how precise the estimate is of your true population. Mathematically, the standard error is the standard deviation divided by the square root of the sample size, but you do not need to know that. For standardized assessment, where it is possible to calculate a standard error, you will see this already on your reports. This is the part you do need to know. If you're looking at your class's data and you see a student whose standard error on an assessment is larger than the rest of the class, you will want to interpret that test event with caution. Something about this test event indicates the result is less likely to be representative of the true score. If a student takes the same test two times in the same season, in general, the score with the lowest standard error is the more reliable score. Some assessments will report a confidence interval along with student scores. The confidence interval is a range of scores that you can be confident the true score falls into. Typically, this is a 95% confidence interval, meaning you can be 95% confident that the range includes the true score for that student. The Cognitive Abilities Test, or COGAT, reports confidence intervals for students. The COGAT test has three batteries or sections, verbal, nonverbal, and quantitative. And within each battery, there are three subtests. Each subtest is scored, and then a score for the entire battery is reported. If the results in the individual subtests were very similar to each other, then the confidence interval for the overall battery would be really small. Remember, all assessments are estimates of what a student knows and is able to do. Each subtest is a sampling of how the student solves problems. And if the results of the samples are similar, we have confidence that the student's true score is within that smaller range. However, if the student's results in each battery are inconsistent, then the confidence interval will be larger. A student's results might be inconsistent because they answered hard items correctly, but easy items incorrectly. Results also might be considered inconsistent if they skipped a lot of questions. Commonly, a student's scores could be considered inconsistent if their results on each of the subtests were very different from each other. You may see confidence intervals represented by a box around a single score point. You may also see confidence intervals on reports represented in a box and whisker plot. Some assessments will report what is known as chance scores. Chance scores are very low raw scores. These are scores that you could have received by just guessing or randomly selecting answers. Results that are marked as a chance score should not be used to make instructional decisions. Thank you for joining me for Assessment as Elementary and Secondary. If you have any comments or questions about today's episode, please message me. If you have any thoughts on future topics, please share those as well. Join us next time when we will continue our discussion of assessment vocabulary.